And I want to talk to you today about the power of a selective memory. A selective memory. Have you ever known anyone that has, seems to have a selective memory? Right? Don't look at your spouse. Please don't do that. But we tend to think of a selective memory as a negative thing, right? Like somebody that just remembers what's convenient to remember. They forget. Wives seem to have this way of remembering things, right? That, that they know how to bring up at just the right time. I'm just kidding. My wife's a blessing. My wife's usually with me. So uh, my wife is Dora. She's still in, in Colorado because she's got family in Mexico visiting or family from Mexico uh, that came to visit and she's with them. But anyway, we tend to think of a selective memory in interpersonal relationships as something negative. But did you know, and this will shock you probably, but did you know that God has a selective memory? God chooses what to remember, and he chooses what not to remember. It says in Scripture, he said as part of his covenant, he said their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. I'm going to show you this in Scripture, but my point is God is telling us he chooses what to remember, and he chooses what not to remember. And so if God has a selective memory, we probably need to have a selective memory and choose to remember what God's chosen to remember, and we need to choose not to remember some things as well. Are you with me? Now, we just took communion here a moment ago, and communion's all about remembering. But sometimes when we take communion, we use communion as an opportunity to remember the wrong things. Now, I love how Pastor Ben did it because he said, if there's something that you have regret about, right? When we took communion a moment ago and Pastor Ben said, if there's something that you have regret in your life that you say, man, I wish that had never happened. I wish I had not done that. And he invited you to see Jesus and see redemption crash into that moment and I think that's very powerful. But there's a lot of people that misuse communion. What did Jesus say when we take communion? And the Apostle Paul talks about it. You mind if we start here? This is, sorry, I'm, I'm into my three hours and I'm just keeping an eye on the time. First Corinthians 11, when the Apostle Paul is talking about communion in verse 23, he said, for I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he'd given things, he broke it and said, take it, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. It's a time of remembering, right? He said, do it in remembrance of me. And then verse 25 goes on to say, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so Jesus specifically said, when you take communion, you're supposed to remember. Now, in, in some, somewhere in church history, because of when, of course, Paul wrote the words, let a man examine himself, right? And you've read that where it says that when you take communion, in fact, it goes on to say this in the next two verses, it, verse 27, 28. Verse 28, it says, well, tw let me read 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread, drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. And when we've read these verses about let a man examine himself, many people, because of a spirit of religion, they've taken these verses to mean that when you take communion, you should examine yourself in light of all of your sin, everything you've done wrong, 
Everything that you've messed up, all of your... Now again, what Pastor Ben did, I thought was fantastic because he said, hey, any of these things you regret, look at redemption transforming those moments. But there are people that they'll examine themselves according to the flesh. Paul said in Romans 7, around verse 18, 19, he said that I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. If you examine yourself according to the flesh, if you examine your flesh, what are you gonna find? No good thing, right? And so when the, when the priests would examine the lamb, the people would bring the lamb of sacrifice, the lamb had to be spotless. The priests examined the lamb, not the person bringing the lamb, right? So if you examine yourself in the flesh, you're gonna find no good thing. But when we take communion, we were never told to examine our flesh. It says examine yourself. How do you examine yourself when you take communion? You examine yourself in light of what Jesus did at the cross. So you examine yourself in light of, I examine myself now according to who I am redeemed as a result of what Jesus did. I'm not examining my flesh. Whose flesh do you examine when you take communion? You're not rightly discerning the Lord's body. You examine his flesh, not your flesh. And so communion's a time of remembering, but unfortunately because of a trick of the enemy, many people have used communion as an opportunity to remember their sin, to remember their wrongdoing. And it's a perversion because Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. And how could the enemy take what was meant to be a reminder of him and for us to use it as a remembrance of sin? The Bible says in Hebrews that the Old Testament sacrifices that were given year after year after year, this is not really the direction I was planning on going, but is this okay for you guys? All right. So the Bible says that the Old Testament sacrifices that were given year after year after year, this is uh, Hebrews chapter 10, talking about the animal sacrifices. In verse three, it says, but in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. That was, that was talking about the, the blood of bulls and goats and, and the sprinkling of ashes of heifer, Hebrews chapter 10, verse three. So the Old Testament sacrifices were meant to be reminders of your sin. But the sacrifice of Jesus is a reminder of his redemption, that it's paid, it's done once for all. And so if you use communion just to remember your sin, well, then you've demoted the sacrifice of Jesus to the level of the sacrifice of a bull or a goat. So communion's meant to be a reminder of him. So it's, it's, it's also about selective memory, okay? Now, again, what, what Pastor Ben did was fantastic. I think that if you go back and you say, hey, these are moments in my life, but I examine that in light of redemption. I examine that in light of what Jesus has done and I'm redeemed and that's under the blood and thank you, Jesus. That's a great way to do it. But the spirit of religion has taken what's meant to remind us of redemption and we've used it as a reminder of sin. We've got to develop the selective memory that God has. If you want to go into this new year and see victory, if you want to go into this new year and see this, the a hundredfold of what God has for you, not settling for 30 or 60, but everything that God has for you in this new year, because we've been talking a lot uh, during worship, during communion, even during the announcements, we're talking about this is a new year, fresh start, and it's true. 
But if you want to maximize what God has for you this year, well, then you've got to walk in not remembering the former things. You've got to have the selective memory that God has and that he's encouraging you to have as well. The Lord said, let me show you a couple of passages here. Are you guys okay with this? The Lord made a statement, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. I'll take you there. Isaiah 43, verse 18 says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so he's saying, there's a new thing I wanna do, but in order to embrace the new thing, you've got to purpose in your heart that you will not remember the old thing. And so part of this selective memory, it doesn't just mean I'm not gonna remember the bad that's behind me. Sometimes it means I'm not even gonna remember the good that's behind me in a sense of not clinging to what's behind me because the Lord has something new for me to possess that he set ahead of me. And so in order to, to behold and embrace the new, I've got, to, I've got to, to let go of and choose not to remember what's behind me. Amen. Amen. And so... And the Apostle Paul said the exact same thing I'm sure you guys have read in Philippians 3. These are all, some of these are passages we talk about regularly, but how often do we put them in practice? Philippians chapter three, this is one I'm sure most of you are familiar with, but Philippians chapter three says, Paul writes it in verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing. If, if Paul said one thing I do, that one thing must be pretty important. He's saying this is one thing I've chosen to do, to press on toward the goal of what Christ has set before me. So he says, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, reaching forward to the things which are ahead. Then he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, in order to reach for what's ahead, and, and again, these are basic principles that I'm sure many of you have heard, but how, how often do we put them in practice? So whatever's ahead of you, that new thing that God wants to do for you this year, You've got to forget what's behind you, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whatever's behind you, and press on for the thing that's before you. So we're talking about a godly selective memory. Let me show you a little bit of God's selective memory. Can we look at God's selective memory real quick? So let's go to Hebrews chapter eight. Hebrews chapter eight. And it says, it's quoting from Jeremiah. We're not gonna go to the passage in Jeremiah, but in Jeremiah, there's a passage where the Lord is talking about a new covenant with the house of Israel, a new covenant with the house of Judah. And it's, it's a quotation from Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, starting around verse 31 down to verse 34. But we're gonna read it from Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter eight, and he says in verse eight, because finding fault with them, talking about the old covenant, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out uh, by the hand out of the Egypt. Let me see, where am I? Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Verse 10, he says, this is the covenant 
I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind, write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse, and we don't have time. I'm not gonna take the time to break down every statement he's making here. There's a lot we could mine from these statements, but uh, let's get to the, the, the main point of what I wanna address. Look, verse 11 says, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. He says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins, pay attention to these words, their sins and their lawless deeds. What does God say here? I will remember, what does it say? No more. I will remember what? No more. Okay, I want you to notice what God says and, and pay careful attention. When God says their sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he could have said. He could have said, I will forget their sins and lawless deeds. He didn't say that. He said, I will remember them no more. You say, what's the difference? There's no difference. Yes, there is. See, if you forget something, it means you wish you could remember, you just can't. Right? I forgot. I, I, right? You, you forget things. You, you forget where you left your keys. That happens to me on a regular basis. I, you should have seen me this week without my wife. I was a, I was a, a, a mess. So I just, uh, I depend on my, it's a wonder. I hope this even matches because she wasn't <laughs> here to help me dress this week. But anyway, yeah, I forget stuff all the time and I depend on my wife for basic things in life, all right? So if you forget things, if you're forgetful, well, that means a lot of times you, you, you try to remember, but you can't, right? You forgot. God did not say, I will forget Actually, God hasn't forgotten. God didn't forget it happened. He said, I'm choosing not to remember. Do you see a difference there? He said, your sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Which, when he says, I will remember them no more, it will never again surface between you and him. It's not a barrier between you and him. And he's not thinking of it when he looks at you. It's not like he's looking at you, not bringing it up, but it's in the back of his mind. So imagine if you owed a debt to someone, an insurmountable debt that you could never pay off, and, and they're good enough not to bring it up to you. But you know, and you know that person knows, so what are you gonna do? You're gonna avoid that person? You're gonna avoid eye contact with that person. When you see that person coming this way, you're gonna go the other way, right? Because even though that person's not bringing up the debt, you just feel like there's this kind of awkward awareness that even though we're not talking about it, you know and I know how much I owe you. And so you're trying to avoid that person because, well, they're not gonna bring it up, but they're thinking of it. Every, they can't look at you without thinking of it. And that's how we, many of us treat the Lord as though he, he may not bring it up, but, but he can't look at me without thinking of it. But that's not true. He said, I will not remember. He doesn't look at you and think of how much you owe him. He doesn't look at you and think of your wrongdoing. And see, just like you might avoid someone that you owe this massive debt, there's people that avoid being in the presence of the Lord because they feel like he's just aware of their sin as, as, as they are. You ever felt that way? That God must be just aware of your wrongdoing as, as you are. 
Listen, I don't know why the Lord led me in this direction for today. This was in my heart before I even came. And then I heard Pastor Ben sharing these things during communion. There must be some people here who need to hear these truths. But man, if God is saying, I won't remember them, what are you doing? Who are you to remember what God's chosen not to remember? Who are you to exalt your wisdom above God's? Who are you to act like that should have some type of bearing on your life when God said you're redeemed? Just justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Man, when God looks, everything's changing. Everything I thought I was gonna say, I'm not saying. But, I, but we're, here's what we're gonna do. If I say the name, for those of you that, that study the Bible, if I were to say the name Bathsheba, did you hear that kind of collective? Whoa, yeah. yeah, we know about her. Yeah, we know that situation. So if I were to say about Bathsheba, that's the, the what do you think of? Don't tell me. Okay. I don't want to hear what you think of, but I think I might have an idea what you think of when you hear the name Bathsheba. Now, there's a lot of people that say, well, it wasn't that she didn't do anything. They think maybe David, because he was king, used his power to take advantage of her. And, you know, I'm, I, that, the Bible doesn't say. I, I don't know that that was necessarily the case. But whatever the case is, what you think of isn't good, right? It's that one mark on David's record that we all wish we could just ignore, right? David's the, the man after God's own heart, and then oops, and then all of a sudden he's the man after God's own heart again. But that one moment, that mark on David's record that isn't good. Now, of course, we know the, the power of redemption, how uh, after, of course, the, the child from David and Bathsheba's uh, affair, that, that, that whatever, whether Bathsheba what, did, did this willingly or if David took advantage of her, we don't know. And I've, had, I've heard people argue the point, but the point is the child from that situation died and then Solomon was later conceived, right? I believe if David had taken advantage of her, he wouldn't have married her and comforted her and things the way that, that they went later. That's really not the point. The point is redemption turned it into something that was far greater than what would have been if the problem had never occurred, Right, the birth of Solomon that ushered in this time of peace. And Solomon was also called in Hebrew Jedediah. He was given a name by the Lord, which is Yedidiah, which means beloved of God. I don't have time to get into all of that, but I want to look at Bathsheba for a minute. Because I asked you a minute ago, when I say when I say the name Bathsheba, what comes to your mind? And everyone kind of has this, yeah, we know what comes to your mind. Okay. But I want to give you a different image of Bathsheba. Maybe something you've never seen before. So if you were to go to Second Samuel, Second Samuel, I'm sorry, it's First Kings. First Kings is actually where I want to take you. So let's turn over to First Kings, uh, chapter two. First Kings chapter two. And there's a story here about how Bathsheba went before Solomon. At this point, her son, remember Solomon is the son of David and Bathsheba together, right? 
This is after the repentance, David's repented and, and there's been restoration and David and Bathsheba come together as, as husband and wife among David's other wives and, and then David and Bathsheba have their son Solomon. Solomon is now about to inherit the throne. Solomon becomes king and then one of David's other sons, his name is Adonijah, has a request for Solomon. He doesn't want to go to Solomon uh, for himself, so he sends Bathsheba. So I don't want to give the full context of this, but this is where we begin our, this part of the story. So Bathsheba goes before Solomon on behalf of Adonijah. Solomon is now the king of Israel at this point. His mother is Bathsheba, and watch what happens when she goes before Solomon on behalf of Adonijah. So we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 2, and let's go to 19. 1 Kings 2, verse 19, Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her, bowed down to her. Now this is King Solomon, this is Bathsheba's son, all right? Forget the context about Adonijah, just look at the imagery of what we're about to see, because you're going to see Bathsheba in a different light, okay? So this is verse 19, Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. The king rose up to meet her, bowed down to her, sat down on his throne and had a throne. Everybody say, a throne. Okay, so the king rose up to meet her, bowed down to her, sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. She who? Bathsheba. Now, this actually set a precedent for the kings of Judah that if you study biblical history and you look through the kings of Judah, there, there was a, a royal position in the royal court known as the queen mother. And it actually started as a result of Solomon setting a throne for Bathsheba right here. And so it's something that you see throughout the, the history of the kings of Judah. We won't go into all of this, but uh, it became a, an official position to the point that one of David's descendants, Asa, King Asa, actually had his grandmother removed from that position because she had set up a, a Canaanite idol to Ashtaroth. And so because of that, uh, his grandmother, Machah, he had her removed from the queen mother position. The reason I tell you that is to say that this position became uh, institutionalized to the point that you could even be removed legally from that position. But it was the position of queen mother. It started with Bathsheba, and it started right here in this verse. And it was where she comes to Solomon. He bows to her. She's his mother. But he, when she approaches him, instead, because she, she comes to make a request, and instead of her requesting from a position of bowing before his throne, he allows her to request by having a throne set at his right hand, and he has her seated on a throne at his right hand. Now watch this. I remember reading this one day, and the Lord just stopped me here at 1 Kings 2.19, where it says Bathsheba was seated in, at a throne at the right hand of the king. And the Lord stopped me, and he said, what's the image you get when you hear the name Bathsheba? All I could think of was David's sin. All I could think of was that regret, that one mark on David's record that you wish would just disappear. And the Lord said, that's what comes to your mind when you hear the name Bathsheba. And the Lord said, but look at this image. This is Bathsheba seated on a throne at the right hand of the king in royalty and honor. And the Lord said, look what redemption does. And the Lord said, what I think of because of redemption, I think of her seated on a throne at the right hand of the king. 
So if I were to tell you the name Bathsheba and a minute ago, everybody goes, ooh, right? But the real image, the result of redemption, most people don't think of her this way. But actually, the image God thinks of with her is seated at the right hand of the king. Did you know that Ephesians tells you that you are seated in heavenly places with him? See, you may not be able to look at yourself without thinking of your own regrets. You might, look in your, you might struggle to look yourself in the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror. I do too. It's not because of this. It's other stuff. I've got New Year's resolutions I'm working on. <laughs> so... My goal is by 2025, I'm, I'm going to be happy looking at myself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but you might struggle to look yourself in the, in the mirror, and, and you might think of all of your regrets. But see, God is not looking at you thinking of those, those wrongdoings and everything you wish you hadn't done. He doesn't associate you with those things. Just like Bathsheba, there's a new image. He sees you seated on a throne at the right hand of the king seated in heavenly places with him. Are you guys catching this? That's how God looks at you. And so this is what it looks like to have this, this selective memory. When God says, I've chosen not to remember something, you need to choose to not to remember what he's chosen not to remember. Now, what does he remember? Because this selective memory, it doesn't just mean what you don't remember. It also means what you deliberately remember. You've got to be intentional about remembering some things, right? Selective memory doesn't just have to do with what you cast away. It also is, what am I intentionally remembering? And so, what, what, what does the Lord remember? Well, Psalm 105, what does the Lord remember? I hope this is blessing you guys. Psalm, it's blessing me, so if not, you can just sit here and watch while I get myself blessed. But Psalm 105 talks a lot about remembering. In the Psalm 105, verse five, it says, it's instructing us, remember his marvelous works, which he's done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. It's telling us to remember. And then look at verses seven and eight. It says, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. So this is what God chooses to remember. He chooses to remember his covenant so, in fact, if you, if you study covenant throughout the scripture, covenant has a lot to do with determining, purposing to remember, and then wiping out any of the impediments. So when, when God destroyed the world in the flood, it says, but God remembered Noah. Why? Because there was a covenant there. So it's a remembering, and the covenant is the, the promise that this is what I will remember. Okay, and so in Psalm 105, Verse eight, it says, he remembers his covenant forever. Well, then you need to remember his covenant as well. See, if you're not intentional about remembering his covenant, remembering what's yours as a result of the covenant, you've gotta be intentional because if you don't, guess what happens? We become forgetful, right? Where the Bible says in James about being a doer of the word, not just a hearer. What does it call us? It says, if you're not a doer, then you become a forgetful hearer. See, you're here on Sundays, and I, I'm, praise God that you're here. Praise God that you come to this amazing church. This is a blessed church. 
You're sitting in a good place. You're being fed by wonderful shepherds. You're here in a wonderful church, and this is a great place to be. But if you're not doing the word, and if you're not intentional about remembering the covenant, well, then you'll become what James calls a forgetful hearer. It's great that you're here, but man, all of us, we can, we can be hearers, but still be in danger of being a forgetful hearer. Right? And so if we're not intentional about remembering, remember his promise, remember his word, remember his covenant, then it's easy to become forgetful. Psalm 103 tells us, if you were to read Psalm 103, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. And then he goes on to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not all his benefits. Why? Because those benefits are at your disposal, but it's easy to forget what your benefits are. And it goes on to list those benefits. He forgives our iniquities, heals our diseases, redeems our life from destruction, crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy, satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Those are the benefits. And it says in Psalm 68, I think 19, that he daily loads us with benefits, but it's easy to forget those benefits. You can live your day-to-day life, get caught up in the mundane life and the routine of your life in this world and, and forget the benefits. You can also forget how forgiven you are. It's easy to forget how this is a second Peter, this is in the scripture, second Peter chapter one. And I'm not gonna read the whole context because like I said, I've only got three hours, but second Peter chapter one and it starts here where, I'm, let's just read. It's verses five through nine. He's talking about adding to knowledge, self-control and the self-control, perseverance, etc., all the way down to, brotherly kindness and love. But get down to, well, verse eight says that if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse nine says, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten, everybody say forgotten. Forgotten. Has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. I wanna encourage you, don't just choose not to remember your sin, but you gotta remember how forgiven and how redeemed you are. Because it's easy to forget that we were forgiven, that we were cleansed, that we were washed. It's easy to forget what his mercy has done for us. It's easy to forget the benefits he's given us. So this year, you've got a purpose to remember some things. I wanna challenge you this year, purpose that there's some things you just won't remember, And what's the litmus test? If God said he won't remember it, neither will I. Yeah, but there's, there's no way God doesn't remember that. It's not that God forgot it happened. But redemption is so great. Man, the, the redemption has left it better. I, I, we don't have time to talk about redemption today. Here's the point. Just this year, if you want to see victory, you've got to have this selective memory. You've got a purpose that whatever God says I won't remember, I won't remember either. And then I choose that I'm going to remember some things. I'm going to remember his benefits. I'm going to remember his covenant. And I would encourage you, put just like you put reminders on your phone, Anybody use your phone to set reminders? 
Yeah, I did it extra this week since I didn't have my wife. Just make extra reminders on my phone, right? I have a smartphone, so I don't have to be smart because my phone's smart for me. So you set reminders on your phone. Well, put deliberate reminders in your life. If you have to put things around your house or write something on your mirror or whatever works for you, Put reminders there for yourself of how forgiven you are, how loved you are, how blessed you are, what his promises are. Put reminders. What does it look like? Second to the same book, actually it's the same chapter, Second Peter chapter one going on down. Peter says in verse 12, for this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things though you know and are established in the present truth. He said, I know you know these things but I'm not gonna neglect to remind you Verse 13, yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding. When you remind yourself of the promises, when you are deliberate and intentional about what you remember, that's how you stir yourself up. That power of remembering is a way to stir yourself up. Listen, you don't have to get new truth to be stirred up. It's not like a drug where now you need some extra this time because this hit is good, but now I need more. No, no, no. What it is, you, you remind yourself. It's remembering that stirs you up. It's remembering, okay? And so he says, I'll stir you up by reminding you to the point, verse 14, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. It means he was about to die. But he said, this is Peter talking to uh, the believers. He says in verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have reminder of these things after my decease. In other words, Peter's saying, even though I'm about to die, I'm gonna make sure that there are measures in place to where you are continually reminded of the truth that you know. Continually reminded. And so, don't approach the word. If you hear Pastor Ben or Pastor Kara get up this year and teach something, you say, well, I already know that. That's, that's actually, honestly, an immature attitude to approach it with, I've already know that. I've already. They're stirring you up by reminding you. You've gotta be intentional about remembering some things this year. You gotta be intentional about what you don't remember and about what you do remember. I'm gonna end with an example of Joseph because Joseph, in the Old Testament, Joseph, uh, the son of Jacob, he mastered this principle about remembering. God gave him a dream, two dreams, when he was 17. We're gonna end with this. But God gave Joseph two dreams when he was 17, okay? And for 13 years, from the time he was 17 to the time he was 30, things looked like they were going from bad to worse. And it looked like he was, uh, it looked like the opposite of his dreams were happening. You remember the dreams about the wheat bowing down to him? And so God gave Joseph these dreams, but the Bible says that even in his time of affliction, the word of the Lord tested him, meaning he was consciously remembering consistently remembering the dreams he'd been given. Now remember, he had suffered abuse at the hands of his brothers, right? He had suffered terrible abuse at the hands of his brothers. But two years into the famine, after he'd gone before Pharaoh, the Bible says that Joseph's brothers came to Egypt for grain, and they, they approached Joseph, and they didn't recognize him, but they bowed to him. You guys remember that part of the story? Yes. We'll pick up there. And this is Genesis chapter 42. And Joseph's brothers come and bow to him. Now Joseph's brothers had done him wrong. They had abused him. But when they approached him in Genesis 42, look at verse five. 
And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who had journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold all the people the land. Joseph's brothers came, verse 6, and bowed before him with their faces to the earth. Verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but acted as a stranger to them. He spoke roughly to them. Let's get down to verse 8. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Look at verse 9. Are you ready? Then Joseph remembered. What did he remember when he saw his brothers? He could have remembered the abuse. He could have remembered what they did when they threw him in a pit and he's begging to get out of the pit and they're just sitting there callously eating a meal. All the things they did wrong to him. He could have remembered being a victim. Seeing his brothers could have easily triggered memories of pain. It could have easily triggered memories of being a victim. It could have easily triggered memories of, of, of abuse. But I want you to see what Joseph remembered when he saw them. He remembered something. Verse nine, then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. He didn't remember the drama. He remembered the dreams. That's a selective memory. That's a godly selective memory. When he could have remembered being victimized, he could have remembered being abused. He saw his abusers there, but he remembered the word of the Lord. This is putting this principle into action the right way. What could have triggered memories of pain only triggered memories of truth and what God had spoken and of promise. I want to encourage you, let every trigger, everything, let it remind you of Jesus. And if, if it triggers some bad emotion, see that put on the cross. But, but, but remember the dreams, not the drama. And, and, and I'll show you, Joseph was so intentional about this, even one chapter earlier, and this is where I'll shut it down, but if you'll just go one chapter earlier, Genesis 41, verses 51 and 52, Joseph had two sons. He had two sons, and he named them. The first one he named Manasseh. The second one he named Ephraim. And he tells why he named them what he did. In Genesis 41, 51, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. It says, for God has made me forget. Everyone say, made me forget. He's made me forget all my toil in my father's house. All the, everything he suffered in his father's house, Manasseh means to make forget. Then the next son, verse 52, in the name of his second, he called Ephraim. For God has called me, caused me rather, to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Ephraim means to make fruitful. So Joseph, his first son is Manasseh, to, to for, cause to forget. The second is Ephraim, to be fruitful. Before you can be fruitful in the land where God's taking you, you've got to choose not to remember the pain of what's behind you. And that's how he named his sons, Manasseh. God's caused me to forget the toil and the pain of my father's house. Ephraim, now God's made me fruitful in this land even of my affliction. And you can be fruitful even in your land of affliction if you're able to forget what's behind you. And God will cause you. He'll give you the Manasseh grace to forget the pain that's behind you, and then you'll instantly, automatically step into the Ephraim grace of being fruitful in what's ahead of you. This one thing, forgetting what's behind, pressing on to take hold of what's ahead. And if you, re if you study it out later, Jacob actually blessed the second son more 
Ephraim was actually blessed more than Manasseh. Why? Because there's greater blessing when you put more emphasis on the fruit that's ahead than on the pain that's behind. So I wanna challenge you. God has a selective memory. God doesn't look at you and associate you with your failure. He looks at you and he sees redemption. He sees what he has ahead for you. And if you wanna see the hundredfold of everything God has for you in this new year, you've gotta have that selective memory as well. Choose not to remember some things purpose that you will and set reminders for yourself of his promises to you.